following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. This is Monica, and your host for Arts or Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. We're glad to have you with us. And uh, I have a Christmas show for you today. In fact, I'm doing Christmas shows all this month. So um, you'll have plenty of Christmas. Anyway, um, I just want to tell you that uh, you can catch us on, if you like what you hear, you can catch us on YouTube, uh, Twitter, or Facebook. Just, uh, you know, like us, give us suggestions, you know, comment on what you'd like to hear and what you don't like. I'd love to hear that too. And um, so at the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can contact us. But uh, if you don't like uh, any one of those options, you can find us on any podcast Spotify, Apple, uh, your Victor, uh, your uh, Victor Reader, whatever you have. Um, so, so you can you can find us just about anywhere. But anyway, the first show that I'm going to do uh, is Lux Radio Theater and. It's Meet Me in St. Louis. Now, some people may wonder why I picked that one. It has kind of a Christmas flavor to it, and it's just a happy little movie that I like. So, uh, I hope y'all like it, and um, just let me know. Here you go. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company brings you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake in Meet Me in St. Louis. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. The theme song of tonight's play is the title of Metro-Golden-Mare's screen hit, Meet Me in St. Louis, based on the novel of the same name by Sally Benson, currently playing in theaters all over the country. The title refers, of course, to the World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904. Ten million people attended it, but twice as many people in our listening audience will be going there tonight with three of Hollywood's most charming stars, Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake. They take you back to an era of nostalgic charm in a warm and haunting story of romance. And in that same nostalgic spirit comes a letter from a young girl who was married last September in a family heirloom dress of Maltese lace. The lace, she says, 
was very delicate and 97 years old. Yet when we washed it with Lux Flakes just before the wedding, it came out perfectly preserved in color, daintiness, and texture. We were astonished that a lace so old and delicate could be so beautifully restored. To Mrs. T.A. Gunderson, the bride, our heartiest thanks, and our sincere best wishes for a happy future with Lux Flakes. On to Act One of Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland as Esther, Margaret O'Brien as Tootie, and Tom Drake as John, with Gail Gordon as Alonzo. In the year 1903, there lived in the city of St. Louis a family named Smith. There were Mr. and Mrs. Alonzo Smith and Grandpa Smith. There were also two daughters and a son, Rose, Esther, and Lonnie. Oh, yes, and another daughter, Tootie, aged seven, who at this moment perches next to Mr. Costello on Mr. Costello's ice wagon. My goodness, Tootie, at five o'clock. Giddy up, be dressed. Oh, how's your doll feeling now, Tootie? Any better? Oh, no. Poor Margaretha. I've never seen her look so pale. Mm, probably the heat. Been awful hot today. I doubt very much if Margaretha will live through the night. She has four fatal diseases. Mm, as rule, only takes one. She's going to have a beautiful funeral in a cigar box my papa gave me, all wrapped up in silver paper. Mm, that's the way to go if you got to go. Oh, she's got to go. How's Beatrice feeling? Oh, Beatrice don't mind the heat. Why, she's the strongest horse in St. Louis. Excuse me, Mr. Costello, but it's pronounced St. Louis. That's funny. Now you take that their new song. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me. Oh, well, that's different. We sing that song all the time in our house. My sister Esther and my sister Rose and Grandpa and everybody. Well, St. Louis, St. Louis, it's still a grand old town. It's not a town, Mr. Costello. It's a city. And it's the only city that's going to have a World's Fair. Gosh, wasn't I lucky to be born in my favorite city? You sure were, honey. So was I, and so was Beatrice. That right, Beatrice? Come on, gal. Giddy up. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. We will dance the hoochie-coochie. You will be my tootsie-wootsie if you will meet me in St. Louis-Louis. Meet me at the fair. Come on, Rose, and sing. Meet me in St. Louis-Louis. Meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining. Oh, hello, Papa. Did you just come home, Papa? The fair won't open for months, but that's all everybody talks about or sings about. Where's Mama? Here I am, dear. Well, did you have a nice day, Alonzo? I had a terrible day, Anna. I lost the case. Oh, dear. Oh, well, Papa, if losing a case depresses you so, why don't you give up law and go into some other business? All right, Esther, I will. Beginning tomorrow, I intend to play first base for the Baltimore Orioles. Right now, I'm going to soak in a cool bath for one solid hour. Oh, but that's impossible, Papa. Katie's serving dinner in five minutes. Five minutes? Alonzo, we, we planned on eating an hour earlier tonight. I'm taking a bath! Oh, Rose, dear, I'm so oh, sorry. But it's nothing to upset the entire household about. 
Warren Sheffield, a Yale man, is going to telephone you at 6.30, and you say it's nothing. Rose, the telephone's in the dining room. You certainly don't want the whole family sitting there drinking in every word when a man proposes long distance. I don't see why you assume Warren is going to propose to me. He's calling from New York. Do you know what that costs? Now, I think that's just about enough of this. Now, where's Tootie? Oh, she's delivering ice with Mr. Costello. No, she came back a few minutes ago. She's in the backyard burying her doll. Well, call her in and see that she gets washed. And Lonnie. Lonnie! Now, don't you worry, Rose, dear. Everything will work out all right. Mama, it's 6.30 and Papa isn't down yet. He will be. Tootie! Grandpa! Lonnie, come on! Dinner! Has he telephoned yet, Rose? Grandpa, I'm not in the least concerned whether Mr. Sheffield calls or not. I suppose Warren's too young, huh? Every fellow I introduce her to is too young. Now, listen, children. Your father will be right down. If we eat dinner quickly, we may be finished by the time... Oh, now I remember. Now I remember where I left my other roller skate. On the staircase. I hope I haven't held you up. I was just taking a little ride before dinner. Tootie, <laughs> is this your roller skate? Yes, Papa. Thank you. You're welcome. And remind me to spank you after dinner. Yes, Papa. Ah, soup. Don't blame me if it's cold, Mr. Smith. Oh, Katie. So is the corned beef. No, no, no. It's fine. Delicious. Well, what's the matter with everybody? Eat your soup. Oh, 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 Rose, let me get it. Telephone, telephone. What are you all jumping for? Sit still. I'll answer it. I'll die. I'll simply die. Hello? What? New York? No, I'm not calling New York. What? Hello? 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 Anna, I'm going to have that instrument of torture ripped out of this home. Oh, Alonzo, every telephone call's not for you, dear. Rose is crying. Well, what's the matter with you? (laughs) Oh, it's nothing, Papa. You've just ruined Rose's chances to get married, that's all. What did you say? That was Warren Sheffield calling long distance to propose. Oh, I see. Tootie? Did you know there was a long-distance call coming to this house? You know what, Papa? The Iceman saw a drunkard get shot yesterday, and blood spurted out three feet... Answer and... yes or no. Yes. Lon? Grandpa? Anna? Well, and just when was I voted out of this family? Oh, Alonzo, really now that... My eldest daughter is practically on her honeymoon, and everybody in St. Louis knows about it but me. Well, from now on, I'll handle all telephone calls to this house. But, Papa... Nobody answers the phone but me. But I... Thank you. Rose, answer the telephone. Thank you, Papa. Hello, Warren? How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Rose. How's St. Louis? What did you say? I said, how's St. Louis? Oh, it's fine. Uh, Fine. Uh, Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you fine. The whole neighborhood can hear you. Well, uh... What did you say, Warren? Nothing, uh, nothing. I was waiting for you to say something. Oh. Uh, Rose, I... I hope you won't misunderstand what I'm going to tell you. Yes? Well, I... I don't think you should mention this call to your family. Why not? Well, because there'd be H to pay if my family ever found out I called you long distance. Oh, oh, he said there'd be H. My family's here and they don't think anything of it. Well, I'd better not waste any more of your time or money. Rose, I've still got 35 seconds. Never mind. Well, Rose, I'll... I'll write to you as soon as I hang up. Well, that'll be very nice. Goodbye, Warren. Well, that's the darndest proposal I ever heard. Well, of all things, he talked about the weather. Well, I'll bet there isn't another girl in St. Louis who's had a Yale man call her long distance just to inquire about her health. If if you don't mind, I'd I'd like to be excused. A Yale man, eh, Lonnie? Yes, Papa. That settles it. 
You're going to Princeton. Oh, it's nice just sitting on the front porch, isn't it, Rose? I just love a summer night. Esther, wasn't that silly of me, running away from the dinner table? Oh, Rose, I wish I had your, your savoir faire. Esther, look. Hmm? Next door, a new neighbor. John, true on the lawn. Now, for goodness sakes, don't let on that we see him. Ready? Yes. Let's, let, let, let's get a little closer to the railing. Isn't it a gorgeous night, Esther, dear? Heavenly, Rose, just heavenly. He smokes a pipe. I understand they're having a fashion pavilion at the fair. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I shan't be at all surprised if Joe insists on taking me to the fair every single night. Joe's so overpowering. Oh, prune. Huh? Well, look, he just walked back into his house. Oh, He's not very neighborly, I must say. Well, he's only lived here two weeks. You can't expect him to fling himself at you. How am I going to meet him? I know. I'll get George Briggs to bring him over here to Lon's going away party. Oh, Rose, could you? Of course. Let me get some stationery. We can write the invitations right now, tonight. He didn't even notice me. What if he can't come to our party? What if he's got a girl? The moment I saw him smile, I knew he was just my style. My only regret is we've never met, though I dream of him all the while. But he doesn't know I exist No matter how I may persist So it's clear to see There's no hope for me Though I live at 5135 Kensington Avenue And he lives at 5133 how can I ignore the boy next door? I love him more than I can say. Doesn't try to please me, doesn't even tease me, and he never sees me glance his way. And though I'm heart sore, the boy next door, affection for me won't display. I just adore him, so I can't ignore him. The boy next door. My dear Mr. Truitt, you are cordially invited to a party on Saturday next in honor of our brother, Alonzo Smith, Jr., who is living for Princeton. Cordially yours, Rose Smith. How's that, Es? Well, it's pretty formal. 
But I guess we'd be, better be pretty formal to start with. John, huh? Oh, Princeton's a peach of a school. A peach of a school. Well, that's where I'm going. I... Oh, Esther. Yes, Alonzo? Uh, may I present our neighbor, John Truitt? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch the name. John Truitt. Oh, <laughs> well, welcome to our house, Mr. Truitt. Well, thank you. You know, this is the first party I've been invited to since we moved to St. Louis. Oh, do you live here? Well, of course he lives here. Right next door. Oh, well, that's where I've seen you. I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> if this dance isn't taken, Miss Smith, I'd be very honored. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, but I... Oh, well, since you're our next-door neighbor. Thank you. Oh, Miss Esther. Uh, yes, Mr. Truitt. There's a mouse in the house. Hmm? Look, on the hall stairs. Why, Tootie Smith, why aren't you asleep? There was too much noise down here. Noise? We've just been dancing and singing. I want to sing, too. <laughs> well, all right, just one song. Now, what would you like to sing, darling? Baby's Boat? Or did you ever see a rabbit climb a tree? Or... Oh, I hate those songs. I want to sing a new one. I was, hmm, last night, dear mother. Well, you can't sing that. Oh, do let her. She's such a sweet little thing. Sweet? She's a little hoodlum. Oh, oh, well, all right. Go ahead, Tootie. I was drunk last night, dear mother. I was drunk the night before. But if you'll forgive me, mother, I'll never get drunk anymore. Tootie, you're a very bad little girl. <laughs> it's really Lon's fault, Mr. Truett. He teaches her those things. Now, Tootie, you scoot right up to bed this instant. Uh, Rose, oh, Rose, dear, might we have some dance music, please? Looks like I'm the last one leaving. Well, uh, good night, Miss Esther. Uh, good night. Yes, don't forget your beauty sleep. Presently, Rose, dear. Well, I guess I'd better get going. Uh, well, uh, we'll be seeing some more of you, won't we? Oh, you bet. You, you'll be joining our crowd Friday. We're all taking the trolley out to the fairgrounds just to see what progress they're making. Oh, sure, sure. Well... Good night. Good night. Oh, uh, that Welch rabbit you served was ginger peachy. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. Oh, uh, Mr. Truitt. Uh, yes, Miss Esther? Uh, this is a, an untoward request, but would you mind accompanying me through the house while I turn out the lights? Well, I... It's just that I, uh, I'm afraid of mice. <laughs> well, sure, sure. That's the least a man can do for his charming hostess. Those two lights in the hall, and then we'll be finished. Oh, if you can't see, just take my hand, Mr. Truitt. Well, uh, thanks. This way. Say, uh, mm, that's nice perfume. Do you like it? It's essence of violet. Uh, exactly the same kind my grandmother uses. Uh, 
No, this is different. <laughs> well, here's the hall. Uh, hadn't we better save those lights for your folks? Well, I'll just turn them down dim. There. My, it's certainly dark in here with the lights off, isn't it? Gosh, Miss Esther, I hope I'm not too presumptuous, but you don't need any beauty sleep. Oh, what a nice thing to say. Oh, this has been a great evening. I'll never forget it. Do you mean that? Yes, yes, I do. Do you always shake hands with a girl when you say goodnight? Oh, no, no, sir. Only when I... Well, when I think an awful lot of her. Oh. And, and you know something else, Esther? What? You've got a mighty strong grip for a girl. <laughs> Good night, Esther. Good night, neighbor. Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake will return for Act Two of Meet Me in St. Louis in a moment. Say, Libby, a boy wants to know whether his girl will like him better if he becomes a great dancer like Fred Astaire or a famous crooner like Bing Crosby. Well, why not tell him to see Paramount's new picture, Blue Skies? They're both in that, and they both love the same girl, Joan Caulfield. Frankly, if I'd been Joan in that picture, I never could have made up my mind. Those wonderful sentimental tunes Bing sings should sweep any girl off her feet. Mm, just like in a stair dance. Isn't this Fred's farewell to pictures? Well, that's what he insists, but millions hope it isn't true. He's never been better or his dance is more original. Being Astaire's partner is a real honor. Well, he has two in Blue Skies. Blonde Joan Caulfield and a little Latin from Manhattan, Olga San Juan. Both are divine in technicolor. I'll bet I know another thing they had in common. What's that? Lux care for their stockings. Oh, you're absolutely right. Anybody who dances knows how much strain stockings get. So naturally, the girls use Lux flakes to cut down runs. Not only girls who dance, Libby, but girls everywhere know how much longer Lux stockings last. And so do Paramount Studios. Stockings for the chorus got the same Lux care as those of the stars. But, of course, Joan knew about Lux long before she went to Hollywood. Wasn't she a model in New York? That's right. And models soon learned to get more wear from stockings by luxing them every night. Well, actual strain tests proved how right they are. In these tests, stockings rubbed with cake soap went into runs very quickly. The luxed ones lasted and lasted. Twice as long, in fact. Girls on a budget appreciate that. Right, Libby. Now, a suggestion to the ladies of our audience. Because Lux is made of scarce materials, please don't waste it. Here's your producer, William Keeley. Act two of Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland as Esther, Margaret O'Brien as Tootie, and Tom Drake as John. Well, Friday's come, and with it, the trolley ride to the fairgrounds. Now take a trolley, fill it with boys and girls, and sooner or later, somebody's singing. In this instance, it's Miss Hester Smith, who finds ample reason to sing, for sitting next to her, thoroughly smitten, is the boy next door, John Truett. 
With my high starched collar and my high top shoes and my hair piled high upon my head, I went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley and lost my heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. I started to yen, so I counted to ten, then I counted to ten again. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Chug, chug, chug went the motor. Bump, bump, bump went the brake. Thump, thump, thump went my heartstrings. When he smiled, I could feel the car shake. He tipped his hat and took a seat. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon my feet. He asked my name. I held my breath. I couldn't speak because he scared me half to death. Buzz, buzz, buzz went the buzzer. Flop, flop, flop went the wheels. Stop, stop, stop went my heartstrings. As he started to go, then I started to know how it feels when the universe reels. The day was bright, the air was sweet. The smell of honey stuck her off her feet. She tried to sing, but couldn't sleep. It's a few weeks later now, Halloween, and at the Smith home, disguised in sagging pants, a long red nose, and bristling mustaches, Miss Tootie Smith is about to brave the thrills and terrors of this ghost-ridden night. And wait till you see what I do to Mr. Bruckhoff. Do you know what Mr. Bruckhoff does, Esther? Minds his own business, as far as I know. He buys meat and poison, and then he puts it all together and kills cats. Thousands of cats. And when he's not killing cats, he beats his wife with a red-hot poker. My goodness. Glenny Travis told me. Are you going out with Glenny and the rest of those ragamuffins? They're all down at the corner. They got a big red bonfire. That's so the banshees will know where to come. I'm going to oh. go and... Oh, dear. Oh, oh don't my. be afraid, Mama. It's only me. Oh, Oh, why, I thought some horrible ghost had come into the house. Oh, I'm horrible, all right. I was murdered last week in a den of thieves. Oh, here it is, Judy. Here's oh. your flower. Thanks, Grandpa. You wouldn't catch me out on a night like this for a million dollars. Why not? Too many terrible spirits roaming around. Grandpa. Oh, go on, Tootie. It's Halloween. I just hope I get back to my bed and board all right. If you wet the flower before you throw it, it's harder for the victims to get it off. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. 
Everybody, I guess we're all ready to yeah. go. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready, ready. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. ready. I'm looking for Jadeeva Hammock on the front porch. And would the children please bring it back after they're through stealing it? Maybe we will and maybe we won't. Anyway, you ain't coming. Why not? Because you're too little, Tootie. Hey, who's going to take the Brokoff's house? Not me. Mr. Brokoff's got a great big beard. And a great big bulldog. And he poisons cats and beats his oh, wife. Tootie, why don't you go home? Well, somebody's got to take the Brokoff's. I'll take him. I'll take the Brokoff's. Oh, oh my God, I don't need to go on home till you grow up. I won't go home. I won't. I'm going to take the Brokoff's. I'll torture him good and pull their roof down. Well, you got some flour? Yes. Just remember, if you don't hit Mr. Brockhoff in the face with a flower and say, I hate you, the Banshees will haunt you forever. They will? Well, what did you think? Well, here I go. We'll come back when your mission is over. We'll be meeting here around the fiery furnace. Oh, Lordy, I sure wish Esther was here. I can't do it. I can't. I'm too scared. Well, what do you want? Don't try to run away. Yes, Mr. Brockoff. Did you ring my doorbell, ghost? Yes, sir. Well, go on. Throw the flower on me. All right. Some more. On my beard. Yes, sir. Now say it. Say it. I I hate you, Mr. Brockoff. That's fine, Tootie. Good night, dear. I'm the most horrible. I'm the most horrible of everybody. Is that you, Judy? I'm coming. Well, did you have a nice... Why, Glennie. Esther, you better come quick. Something happened to Tootie. What are you talking about? Don't by the trolley. She got hurt, Esther. She's bleeding like anything. Oh! <laughs> Esther, did you get Pop on the telephone? No, Mama, they said he just left. Tootie's lip, Mama. It's all cut. Oh, good heavens. And the tooth knocked out. Oh, Katie, another compress. There, there, darling. Everything's going to be fine. He tried to kill me. Why, Tootie. She must mean the streetcar. I think it hit her. It wasn't the streetcar. It, it was John Truitt. Oh, John no. Truitt. John Truitt? He was going to kill me. That's how I got hurt. When I screamed, he ran away. What? Tootie Smith, that's a monstrous falsehood. Now, wait a minute, Tootie. What's that in your hand? Why, why, it's some strands of hair. Yes, and I don't think it's Tootie's. I yanked it out of his head. He tried to kill me. Brown hair. John Truitt has brown hair. Excuse me. Oh, is that you, Esther? Oh, hello, Esther. John Truitt. Yes, Hey, wait a minute. I've come here to ask you something. Hey, cut it out, Esther. The next time you pick, hey, on, somebody, it out. pick on somebody your own size, what do you mean hitting a seven-year-old child? Esther. If there's anything I hate, loathe, despise, and abominate, it's a bully. I want to sleep in Esther's bed, Mama. Of course, darling. Oh, I hate to think what your father's going to say when he hears about this. He may even strike that Truett boy. He won't have to, Mama. I just took care of him. I was drunk last night, dear Mother. I was drunk the night before. Esther, your dress. Oh, that must have happened when he was trying to hold me off. I bit him. I bit him, too. Did you, Tootie? 
That's not what Tommy Berkheimer says. I've just been talking to him. Did the trolley go off the gra- tracks, Grandpa? No, but the cable came off when the motorman put on the brakes so fast. At least that's what Tommy tells me. What are you talking about? It seems the kids had found an old suit of clothes, so they stuffed it with straw and somebody put it on the trolley tracks. We thought the car had gone off the track. Tootie Smith, why, you're nothing less than a murderess. You might have killed dozens of people. Oh, Rose, you're so stuck up. Tootie, how did you get that lip? How? Because John Truett butted in. He dragged me up an alley so the policeman wouldn't get me. Huh, as though policemen never pay attention to girls. But I yanked his hair out and got away. Then I fell down and cut my lip. Oh, what I'm going to do to you oh, is leave her alone. <laughs> well, what's so funny? Tootie, honestly, you're the most deceitful, sinful little creature I've ever seen. And for two cents, I... Merciful heavens! John! Oh, no, Esther, not again, please. Oh, John, John, there's been a terrible mistake. There has? Oh, yes, you see, I... Oh, did I do that? Black eye, and this, and this, and this. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that's all right. How's Tootie? (laughs) She'll live. (laughs) Oh, John, it's, it's awfully nice of you to accept my apology. Well, if you're not busy tomorrow night, could you beat me up again? (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess I better be getting home. Oh, uh, before you go, would you mind helping me turn out the lights? I'm afraid of mice. <laughs> Looks like most of the lights are out. Wouldn't take a minute to turn them on again. Well, wouldn't that be kind of wasting a minute? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would, Esther. You know, you've got a mighty strong grip for a boy. If I ever catch you fibbing again, Tootie, I'll give you something that you'll... Oh, Esther, dear, I hope... Why, Esther, is there something wrong? Yes, Mom. Roses are red and John's name is Toot. Esther's in love, and we always knew oh, it. Mama, can't you make Tootie stop? This where the Smith family lives? Why, hello. Come on in. Hello. Oh, home, Papa. I almost got killed. We stopped the trolley, and I lost my tooth, and Esther bit John Truett. And Anna. Tootie I... fell, dear, and cut her lip. She's fine. Oh, that's a brave little girl, Tootie. Oh, uh, Anna, for you. Why, Alonzo, what a lovely box of candy. Is anything wrong? Anna, the firm is sending me to New York. Well, that's lovely, dear. Just as long as you'll be home for Thanksgiving. No, you don't understand. I'm to head the office there. We're moving to New York. Moving? To New York? Why, I don't believe it. Well, I simply don't believe it. Why, Anna, I thought you'd be overjoyed. But New York is such a big city, and, well, what'll the children do? The same as they do here. Go to school, play, have their friends over. What friends, Alonzo? Yes, what friends? The friends they'll meet in New York. And Tootie, just ready to be promoted. And Esther, a senior. I've worked all my life to be a senior. And Rose in the Conservatory of Music. Yes, what about me in my life? You can take that with you. It's settled. We're going. Well, I must say you're being very cold-blooded. Well, I've got our future to think about. I've got to worry about where the money's coming from. With Lon in Princeton and Rose in music school and Tootie... Money. I hate, loathe, despise, and abominate money. You also spend it. 
What about Katie and Grandpa and the chickens? Not that we have many left. That's a minor detail we can discuss later. So I'm a minor detail, am I? You know very well, Papa, I was talking about the chickens. Oh, never mind what happens to your family, as long as the chickens are provided for. Now, 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 I guess we're all a little excited. We'll talk this over calmly tomorrow. Well, what's this? Hickory nut cake, as only Katie can make it. I can't go to New York. I simply can't. I'm taking my cap. Winona goes wherever I go. Well, you keep her cooped up in a tenement. Oh, good evening, Katie. Couldn't help overhearing. Don't they have houses in New York? Rich people have houses. People like us live in flats. Thousands of people in one building. And what about the World's Fair? Yes, just when St. Louis is going to be the center of, intra- of attraction of the entire universe. Katie, this cake is as light as a feather. You can bake anything in our stove. They got little box stoves in them tenements. <clears throat> uh, pass your plates, everybody. Have some cake. Thanks. I guess I got some things to do. Excuse me. Are you going up too, Grandpa? I, uh, I'll help Katie with the ice cream dishes, Mom. Me too. As long as we're moving, it won't matter if I break some. Aren't you afraid, Anna? Alone in this room with a, a criminal? Now, dear, if you think it's best to move to New York, why, why that's what we'll do. Eat your cake, Alonzo. Ah, it's good to hear you play, Anna. Why, that's a nice song. Remember when I used to sing it? Yes. Oh, dark and fair weather. It's just lovely. Tootie and I. Well, I, I guess we'll have some cake after all. I want the piece with the rose petals. Mighty nice song. Mighty nice. Rose and I... Well, there's nothing like good music and a piece of hickory cake. No, sir. (laughs) And you know, I'll bet New York is, is going to be just... just fine... We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Three of Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake, will follow in a moment. Our guest tonight, blonde, blue-eyed Lola Deem, came to Hollywood from Akron, Ohio, by way of Chicago. When MGM saw the screen test she made there, they lost no time in getting her to the coast. I understand you're studying hard, Lola. I am, Mr. Keeley, but I'm having fun, too. Such as? Oh, watching pictures being made... And seeing as many previews at the studios as possible, that's where I saw the yearling, Metro-Golden-Mayer's new Technicolor picture, which people are talking about for the Academy Award. Mm, A superb example of fine acting and photography. And how I envy Jane Wyman in her role opposite Gregory Peck. Oh, a Gregory Peck fan, eh? (laughs) Mm, Who isn't? 
And Claude Jarman, Jr. is so appealing as Jody with his pet fawn. Well, it's often the details that count in making a successful picture, Lola. For instance, the company spent months in Florida to make each sequence in the yearling true to life. Tell me, Lola, do you have any special rule for success? Yes, Mr. Keeley, to profit by experience. And I'm doing that right now. How is that, Lola? Well, when I was working as a radio receptionist back east, I found that good grooming was important. So, naturally, I used Lux Flakes. You see, I was on a budget, and I saved a lot by wearing blouses and sweaters I could Lux myself. They always looked wonderful. Hollywood studios feel much the same way about Lux, Miss Dean. They've discovered by actual experience how safe it is for colors. So they make it a rule to use Lux Flakes for everything washable. Well, I do too, but I wish I could find more Lux in the Hollywood stores. <laughs> well, the materials they need to make Lux are scarce. But it's wise to keep on trying. Smart girls like yourself don't risk spoiling nice things with a strong soap because they know washing things the wrong way can fade colors easily. Tests on all sorts of fabrics prove that. There's no doubt about it. Lux things do stay smart longer. Thank you for coming tonight, Miss Lola Dean. We return you now to William Keeley. Act three of Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland as Esther... Margaret O'Brien as Tootie, and Tom Drake as John. It's the day before Christmas, a week before the family moves to New York, and five hours before the annual Christmas ball at the Women's Club. And Alonzo Smith, Jr., home from Princeton for the holidays, has a problem Oh, Lonnie, you needn't be so grouchy just because Lucille Ballard doesn't think you're good enough to take her to the dance tonight. A girl has a right to go to a dance with anyone she wants. I, I just didn't ask her soon enough. Everyone knows Miss Ballard is just an Eastern snob. Well, you're in a fine mood, all because Warren Sheffield asked her instead of you. That's not true. Rose could have had any man she wanted. Except Warren Sheffield. Everyone knows that Lucille Ballard is just throwing herself at Warren because of his father's money. Now, that's what I call real Christmas spirit. Now, just a minute, Katie. Didn't it ever occur to you that you might take your sister to the dance? My own brother? I'd be the laughing stock of St. Louis. Well, thank you. Oh, Katie's absolutely right. Oh, Lon, it's our last dance in St. Louis, and it'd be tragic if either of you missed it. It's all right for you to talk. You have a date, a real one. Well, Rose, if I didn't have a date with John... John Truett, which I have, I'd be thrilled to go with my own brother. Well, I'd be willing, Rose. I mean, I'd be glad to. You would? Why, you two will have the best time of anybody. You won't even have to be polite to each other. It's half past seven. Oh, oh yes, you look grand. Oh. Simply grand. That oh. corset makes your figure just elegant. Oh, I feel elegant. But I can't breathe. But if we're going to wreck Lucille Ballard's evening, we definitely need every ounce of allure. Oh, Rose, don't you think I could be alluring without a corset? No, Esther, I don't. After all, you're competing with an Eastern girl. We'll have to monopolize all the worthwhile men. Well, there'll only be about 20 boys worth looking at. We could certainly handle 20 men. But what about John Truett? Oh, I'll devote myself to John. But in between times, I'm going to make my presence felt amongst the others. Oh, Esther. What is it, Tootie? Somebody at the back door to see you. Who? <laughs> Gosh, do you look funny. Oh, Tootie. Rose, could I please wear a corset, now, too? Tootie. Who's at the back door? Oh, somebody that looks like John Truett. Oh. oh, Rose, give me my kimono. I wonder what he could want. 
What are you giving me for Christmas, Rose? You'll find out tomorrow. I certainly hope it's a hunting knife. Nothing I need worse than a good hunting knife. Oh, John. Well, come on in. Yes. I've got some bad news. My, my tuxedo. Well, what about it? It's at the tailor's. You see, I was playing basketball, and when I got there, it was closed. But can't you borrow one? I've tried, but everybody who's got one is going to the ball. What about your father's? That was my father's. Well, then find the tailor and make him open the shop. Well, I know his name is Johnson, but I don't know where he lives. Oh, oh this is simply ghastly. Oh, yes, I wouldn't blame you if you never spoke to me again. Oh, you, you didn't do it on purpose. I guess there's nothing else I can say. Unless you want to do something else tonight. No, I I better just stay home and do some packing. You know, we're leaving St. Louis in a few days. I know. And this is a fine going away present I'm giving you. I'll bet you really hate me. Oh, no, John, I don't hate you. I just hate basketball. Isn't awful, Esther? I wish I were dead, that's all. Well, there's only one thing to do. Lon will have to take both of us. You don't think I'm going to the smartest ball of the season with my own brother, do well, you? I like that. You wanted me to go with you. You didn't have a date. But I can't handle 20 men alone. I admit it. Did you ever stop to think of what people would come say? In. Come in, Grandpa. You know, the man who built this house cheated your father. The walls are thin as paper. Oh, Grandpa. Now, now, now. <laughs> Esther, it's a funny thing. I took my tuxedo out of the mothballs only yesterday. Looked pretty good, too. That suit of mine does the greatest one step you ever saw. Grandpa, are you actually... Esther, what's this toot he says about you're not going to the dance? Who says I'm not going? Of course I'm going. With the handsomest man in town. Madame, I'll pick you up at eight. Esther, Esther, I'm here. I John. made it. Oh, gosh, yes. I didn't find Mr. Johnson until 20 minutes at 10. But he opened up the shop, and well, here I am. Oh, John, so much has happened, and I'm so glad. And if I'm crying, it's just because everything's turned out so simply divinely, and it's Christmas almost. And I, but what's happened? Don't, don't you see them dancing? Rose and Warren Sheffield. Miss Ballard's a simply charming girl, even if she is an Easterner. She said we're all grown up, aren't we? And since all Warren talks about is Rose, my goodness, why doesn't he fill her dance card? Who's Lucille dancing with? Lonnie, of course. Oh, she's terribly fond of him. It's really so obvious. And now you're here. Oh, John, I've never been so happy in my life. Esther, could we... Could we go outside for a minute? I want to talk to you. Well, of course, John, if you like. Oh, I wouldn't have said it, Esther, if I thought it would make you cry again. Are you sure you're warm enough? imagined you saying it thousands of times that I always planned exactly how I'd act. I never planned to cry. Well, at least you didn't laugh. Laugh? I guess I never asked a girl to marry me before. 
I guess maybe I was kind of... Oh, well... John, no one could have done it more beautifully. I'm very proud. Esther, will you? Oh, will you, Esther? Of course I will, John. Oh, gosh. Do you realize I might have lost you? A few more days and you'd have been gone. We might never have seen each other again. And now we're engaged. Esther, let's go home and tell your folks right now. Oh, no, uh, not tonight. I... I'd, I'd rather just the two of us knew about it tonight. Now, we're not going to let them talk us out of it. After all, we are of age. Well, practically. John, even, even if I it did go to New York, we, we could still work something out. Somehow. Couldn't we, John? Merry Christmas, John. Merry Christmas, Esther. Can I come into bed with you, Esther? Of course, darling. Come on now, cover up. You weren't asleep either, were you? Mm-mm. I've just been lying here, thinking. Was the dancing nice? Wonderful. I've been watching. The moon's so bright, but I haven't seen anything. Did he come? Did who come? Santa Claus. <laughs> now you know he's not going to come until you're fast asleep. Then sing to me, Esther. Sing to me till I'm asleep. All right. What kind of song, darling? A Christmas song. Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light Next year all our troubles will be out of sight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Christmas, make the Yuletide game. Next year, all our troubles will be miles away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yours. I can't. 
Oh, Esther, how will Santa Claus know where to find us next year? We'll be in New York. Oh, you can't fool him. He can find anybody he wants to find. If he brings me any toys, I'm taking them with me. I'm taking my dolls and the dead ones, too. I'm taking everything. Of course you are. You won't have to leave anything behind. Except your snowmen, of course. My snowmen? Well, we'd look pretty silly trying to get the snowmen on the train now, wouldn't we? Snowmen, my snowmen. Tootie, come back here. My poor little snowmen. What's going to happen to them? Snowmen, snowmen. Tootie, darling, it's, it's all right. It's all right. What on earth happened, Esther? What was Tootie doing in the backyard? She just ran out, Papa, and it started to smash all our snowmen. Nobody's going to have my snowmen. Not if we're moving to New York. Oh, don't cry, darling. You can build other snowmen in New York. No, you can't. You can't do anything in New York like you can in St. Louis. You're sure she'll be all right? Yes, Papa, you go back to bed. I'll take care of her. Well, good night, Esther. Good, good night. Tootie, darling, New York's a wonderful place. Wait till you see the fine home we're going to have and the friends we're going to make. But the main thing, Tootie, is we're all going to be together, just like we've always been. That's what really counts. We could be happy anywhere as long as we're together. Anna! Anna, wake up! Rose! Grandpa, Lonnie, everybody, get up. Esther, Trudy, come on, all of you, come on downstairs. Uh, Papa, Papa, what's wrong? Everything's wrong. Anna, where are you? Grandpa, come downstairs this minute. Now, everybody get in here and sit down. There's nothing to sit on, Alonzo. Nothing but packing boxes. Then come into the dining room. I've got a few words to say to this family. Well, what is it, for heaven's sake? Well... We are not moving to New York. And I don't want to hear a word about it. We're going to stay right here in St. Louis till we rot. We haven't rotted yet, Alonzo. But what will you say to the firm, Papa, to Mr. Fenton? That I've changed my mind. I'm a junior partner, not a puppet on a string. But New York, Alonzo, you you did think it was a fine opportunity, didn't you? Well, I, I was looking forward to going, yes. But after all these weeks, watching my family's hearts breaking and... And then Tootie a little while ago and... (laughs) Well, New York hasn't got a copyright on opportunity. The trouble with you people is you don't appreciate St. Louis because it's right here under your noses. I'll take that. Oh! Is this you, Rose? Oh, I mean... Do I sound like Rose? Well, then get her to the phone. Wake her up or something. Now, just a minute, young man. Who do you think you're talking to? Papa, Papa, please let me take it. Hello? Rose Smith, I haven't slept a wing since I took you home from the dance, and I won't go on like this any longer. Warren. We're going to get married, and I don't want to hear any arguments. Now, that's final. Oh, I love you. Warren, but... Warren. Anna, who is that boy? Do you know? Alonzo, he's a very fine young man. Now, we'll talk about it later. Oh, Rose, darling, you handled the whole thing magnificently. He's just putty in your hands. (sighs) Well, I hope you'll be very happy, Rose. And sometime, if you can arrange it, I'd like to meet that young fellow. Papa, Mama. If Rose is going to get married, maybe we had a, better open up her Christmas presents now. <laughs> oh, you little faker. It's your presents you're after. He's been here. Santa Claus. Well, of course, in the living room. Oh, good heavens. It's Christmas morning. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas, Papa. You've given us the nicest Christmas anybody could ask for. We're staying in St. Louis. Good morning, Mr. Costello. Good morning, Tootie. Going to help me deliver ice today? Today? 
Do you know what your day is? Sure do. First day of May, 1904. It's fair day, Mr. Costello. Today's the day the World's Fair opens. My family's going, and Papa says we're not coming home till they throw us out. Is that a fact? Well, gee up, me dress. But don't you worry. I'll help you deliver ice tomorrow. John, it's 8 o'clock. We promised to meet the family for dinner at the French Pavilion. Oh, we'll be there, Esther. I just didn't want you to miss this. Miss what, John? The electric lights. Look, Es, they're turning them on. Oh. Here they come. Oh. Oh. John, it, it, it's just breathtaking. I never dreamed anything could be so beautiful. Imagine there's never been anything like this in the whole world. That's right, Es. There's nothing like this. And no one like you, just think of all the things we'll have to tell our kids someday. I wonder if they'll believe it, John. I can hardly believe it myself. You and, and a World's Fair right here where we live. Right here in St. Louis. Before our stars return to the microphone... I'd like to tell you about Mrs. Brown. The Browns had some friends in for dinner recently, and after they finished, Mrs. Green said... Let's do the dishes now, Mary. I'll give you a hand. Oh, thanks. It really won't take long. Optimist. But I always say you can talk just as well in the kitchen as anywhere. Want me to wash? Oh, no. That's the easiest part. Who do you think you're kidding? Look at these dishpan hands of mine. Oh, I have Lux. You have? Where'd you get it? Down at the corner. Some came in while I was there the other day. Lucky. I haven't been able to get any lately. Mm, I guess you've just struck it wrong. We're all so sick of those strong soaps that Lux goes like hotcakes. Do strong soaps bother your hands, too? Do they? Why, mine looked worse than yours. But soon as I switched to Lux, they started getting better. Note that, Mrs. Green. Tests prove changing to Lux Flakes does just what Mrs. Brown says. It takes away that ugly dishpan redness. You'll begin to notice improvement in just a few days. Another thing, you have to use so much of that strong soap to get sucked. I know. But you saw how little Lux Flakes I put in the dishpan. And look what rich suds they make. Those richer suds will actually go further, Mrs. Green. Do you know that ounce for ounce, Lux does up to twice as many dishes as other leading soaps tested? If I get my hands on a box of Lux Flakes, I'll go easy with it. I don't want to waste a spoonful. Yes, Lux is precious, Mrs. Green. Too precious to be wasted. Of course, you're disappointed when you can't find Lux Flakes right off. We're making as much as we can, but there just isn't enough to satisfy all our customers all the time. So please be patient and keep asking. When you do find Lux Flakes, you'll be delighted how soft and smooth they leave your hands, in spite of dishwashing. Here's Mr. Keeley at the microphone. Now that you've met them in St. Louis, we invite you to meet them as they are in real life. Tonight's delightful stars, Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake. Judy, we enjoyed both your singing and your acting. <laughs> well, Bill, tonight's play certainly puts one in the mood for Christmas. You know, Christmas is only 23 days away. <laughs> hey, that's pretty close figuring, Margaret. And, Judy, this will be the first Christmas for the newest member of your family. Have you bought the baby any presents yet, Judy? Well, I haven't done much shopping yet, Margaret. Judy's been pretty busy. It was just recently she finished her latest Metro-Golden-Mare Technicolor picture till the clouds roll by. And Margaret's been pretty busy, too. She's been appointed National Junior Chairman of the Infantile Paralysis Fund. 
Just three weeks and 48 hours until Christmas. <laughs> and during the Christmas holidays, Margaret, you'll have to see Tom Drake's new MGM picture, Courage of Lassie. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Margaret has one of Lassie's puppies. Is that right, Margaret? Yes, and I named him Laddie. But just think only 18 shopping days until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Margaret. And we've been doing some shopping on a play for next week. What are you presenting next week, Bill? Two brilliant stars who rank among our greatest favorites. Irene Dunn and Walter Pidgeon. They appeared in one of the screen's most entertaining comedies, Columbia Pictures' recent hit, Together Again. It's the fresh, delightful story of a woman torn between love and her career as a small-town mayor, a play I'm sure our audience will love. Well, Irene Dunn and Walter Pidgeon really make a great team, Mr. Keeling. And remember, only 20, 23 days until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and remember, too, the days are getting shorter, Margaret. <laughs> See, that makes things even better. <laughs> Good night. Good, Good night. night. And best holiday wishes to you all. <laughs> Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Irene Dunn and Walter Pigeon in Together Again. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. More than two million servicemen returning to civilian life are homeless. Help out by making your extra rooms available to rent and by listing your sales or rentals with the Veterans Housing Center. Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Secret Heart. Heard in our cast tonight were Gail Gordon as Alonzo, Colleen Gray as Rose, Regina Wallace as Mrs. Smith, Norman Field as Grandpa, and Billy Roy, Noreen Gamil, Dick Ryan, Clark Gordon, Charles Seal, Truda Marson, Johnny McGovern, Joel Davis, Jerry Farber, Howard Jeffrey, and Lois Kennison. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Together Again with Irene Dunn and Walter Pidgeon. Spry, S-P-R-Y. For wonderfully light, fine, delicious cakes. Rely on Spry. For tender, flaky pastry. Rely on Spry. For crisp, golden fried foods. Rely on Spry. For all you bacon fry, it's Spry, the pure all-vegetable shortening. Rely on Spry, S-P-R-Y. Okay, um, I have a neat one here. Uh, from Radio City Playhouse. Uh, it's one that I think everybody can like, especially kiddos, but um, it's Radio City Playhouse. It is the night, was the night before Christmas. I liked it. I hope y'all did too. The National Broadcasting Company presents Radio City Playhouse, Attraction 66.
Ladies and gentlemen, here is the director of Radio City Playhouse, Harry W. Junkin. Thank you, Fred. Good afternoon, everybody. It seems to us that there are few things more appropriate as a Christmas gift to Radio City Playhouse listeners than a story by the inimitable Paul Gallico. Since 1936, when he first entered the short story field, he has been published regularly by such magazines as the Saturday Evening Post, Collier's, Cosmopolitan, and Esquire, and today we welcome him to Radio City Playhouse. Here then, with our very best wishes, is our Christmas Day broadcast. Lyle Sudrow as Perry Brown, Bernard Grant as Al Vogel in Twas the Night Before Christmas by Paul Gallico, Attraction 66 on Radio City Playhouse. It is 4 o'clock in the afternoon of Saturday, December the 24th, in the city room of the Daily Blade. Almost everybody has gone home. A couple of office boys are yawning on the call bench. Three rewrite men are packing away at their typewriters and watching the clock. At the head of the room, Tex Court, the city editor, is talking earnestly into the telephone with a hunted look on his face. Nearer the door, Perry Brown, the Daily Blade's best reporter, is chatting with Al Vogel, his photographer. They're both about to leave for Rusty's party when Perry's telephone rings. Hello, Perry Brown. Oh, hello, Rusty. Yes, we're just leaving. Uh, I'm all cleaned up. Uh, the tree, uh, the tree come? Uh, good. Uh, no, no, Vogel's sitting on my desk. We'll leave together. Oh, honey, I'm going to trim that tree with diamonds, rubies, and sapphires. That'll run into dough. <laughs> Vogel says that'll run into dough. <laughs> huh? Oh, darling, if you play Holy Night, I'll cry. Yes, I will. I get very sentimental about Christmas. Vogel will cry, too, won't you, Al? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right, we'll all cry, and it'll be a wonderful party. Oh, now, darling, don't worry about the Christmas tree fires. They won't break out until 9 o'clock, and besides, I'd quit before I'd miss the party. Okay, anything you want me to bring? Just me? Okay. Love you. Hey, why don't you marry the girl and put her out of her misery? I'm uh, working on it by this time next year. Come on, Al, let's get out of here. Right behind you. Let's go say Merry Christmas to Tex. Come on. It's a good idea. Come on. Rusty's as excited about this Christmas party as a five-year-old kid. It's our first real planned party. No kidding. Yes, mm-hmm. Mr. Petrusall, I understand, and I'm sure we can take care of it by 11 o'clock at number three Courtney Tower. Your harness to the wagon, yes. Mrs. Petrusall. It's all right, Mrs. Petrusall. I'll keep in touch with you. <laughs> Same to you, Goodbye. Uh, Al and I are just leaving, Tex. Merry Christmas and try to get up to Rusty's party if you can, will you? What's the matter? Perry, I meant to let you and Al go, but oh, no. something unforeseen is coming. No, you promised us the night off. You did, Tex. Yes, I know. And you'll get to Rusty's party later. Did you, uh, hear anything of that telephone conversation I just had? You, uh, mean Mrs. Pettensall? Tex. Her nephews have arrived unexpectedly from the West. She wants a Christmas present for us. Oh, no. She wishes us to secure a pair of goats for her. Goats? Harness to a red wagon. Oh, you're kidding. Goats? Harness to a red wagon. Is she crazy? 
Where can you find a couple of goats in a red wagon on Christmas yeah, Eve? Yeah, where can you find a couple of goats? You mean where can you find them? Oh, Tex, no. It'll be all right if the outfit arrives at three Courtney Towers by 11 tonight. I won't do it. I promised Rusty. And I promised the wife of our editor and managing director that I'd get her two goats. All right, we quit, don't we, Al? Absolutely, we, we told quit. Rusty nothing would keep us away from her first party. Listen, Perry, Al, I'm sorry, but I'm on the spot. Do you think I get a kick out of having my reporters used as footmen? Mrs. Pettensall's a bad little girl. Bad little She's a girl. gadfly sent to try us. I'm sorry, but it's all a part of the screwy business, and she is the wife of our managing director. Now, please, Perry. There's nobody else to send, please. I can't. Rusty will give me the air. That she'll understand she's a newspaper woman. No, no, no. Not tonight she isn't. Tonight she's a kid having her first Christmas You'll party. just be a little late. Here, I'll give you a petty cash slip. Yeah. Get upstairs and cash it before five. How much? The sky's the limit. All right, a grand. I said the sky, not the stratosphere. You want your stinking goats, don't you? How do I know what I'll run up against? I may have to buy them from the zoo. Okay. Here. Need any help, call me. Oh, thank you. And you call Rusty. I haven't got the nerve. She'll think I'm drunk. All right. Call her up and say you sent me out to get two goats and a red wagon. Oh, boy, she'll love you. Come on, Al. Maybe we can get the goats quick somehow. Uh... Hey, where are you going first, Perry? Where would you go to get goats? Brooklyn. Gee, Perry, it's nice driving over Brooklyn Bridge at night, ain't it? Yeah. Holy night, silent night. Where can I find two? Service of the rich. We're after goats. We're not reporters. We're lackeys. Mrs. Pettensall would be very, very angry if we went to a fire instead of buying her two goats harnessed to a red wagon. Perry, we've got to look. It's red. Look at the orange and the yellow. I know. I'm going to tell you. Look, look. Maybe I can grab a shot. Slow down, Perry. Please. Maybe I can get a picture from here. No, 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 Al. We must let nothing turn us from our duty. We're not reporters. We're butlers. Well, I got it anyway. And maybe that won't be the picture of the year. Mrs. Pettensall say if she ever found out you went around shooting a camera at people. I got it. Oh, stop uh, taking pictures. You know what? You're uh, lost, that's what. We're lost in Brooklyn and we'll be here for years and years. We are not lost. You stop taking pictures, you'd see that we're now approaching Cyprus in 283rd, and if our friend the bartender is correct, we're about to get our first goat. Did they have any number? No. Brown shack at the corner of Cyprus and 283rd. That must be it over there beside those signboards. 
What is it, a garbage dump? Or is that the goats I smell? Please, be a good goat, will you? Now, come on. What's he stopping for? I don't know. Please, Rudolph, we're almost at the car. Now, in a little while, you meet Mrs. Pettensall. You like her. You can't pull them if they don't want her. Yeah. Now, look, Rudolph, I paid a hundred bucks for you. Will you please act like a hundred-dollar goat? Hey, he's sniffing at something on the ground. Huh? Yeah. Hey, Perry, look. What? Perry. It's a body. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a sack. Something catches a note on it. Well, give me a flashlight. Hey. Merry Christmas from the boys. Wow. I think I know him. Flashlight in his face. Huh? Yeah. Holy cow, Perry, it's pro guard at the ace office. Yeah. Wow. He had his nose in the poultry racket, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas from the boys. What a story. How? Well, too bad we're busy. With Perry, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. Business before pleasure. We're still one goat shy. Pro Gower. Well, let me take a couple of pictures. Okay, but make it snappy. All right, Rudolph. I'll give you one more chance. Are you or are you not going to get into the car without being kicked? Back seat, will you stop kissing me? I'm driving. Yeah, and you should have stuck to lemonade. Oh, you should talk. While I think of it, who did you phone in that last tavern? Hey, office, Tex. Oh, what's it telling? Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, he said Rusty had phoned and said you needn't bother coming to the party no matter how early you got through. Oh. And uh, I just sort of casually mentioned the fire and the pro-gower mic. Ah, uh-huh, that'll teach him to send us out after goats. Where'd that bartender say we should go? Oh, guy by the name of Constantine Wanakasa. Huh? Just a couple of blocks more. Well, now what's the matter with Rudolph? I believe he is slightly loaded. He downed a whole can of beer the barkeep gave him. More likely it's the can. He downed that too. <laughs> Mr. Guanacasa? Yes? Uh, well, my friend here and I, curious as it may seem, are seeking to purchase a goat. Yes, yes. goat. Yeah, yes. goat. Uh, Jerry, the, the bartender at Mike's Tavern, said you had goats. <laughs> you make the, the, the joke, eh? No, no. Uh, come on, we got company. You drink a glass of wine, everything should be all right. Christmas time, everybody should feel okay. Now, uh, look, any time but Christmas Eve, it might be a gag. It's dead on the level, brother. I gotta get another goat. Now... Have you got one? And we ain't kidding. This yeah. is no funny business. Honest. All right. You come with me. Yeah. Uh, you uh, have got goats, haven't you? Sure, I got the goats. Paolo and Francesca. Uh, the man and a wife. Oh. Nice goats. A good goats. You like a goat, Saint? Uh, oh, uh, sure. Yeah, we love goats, don't we? Al? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially on Christmas Eve, we love goats. Yeah. Uh, it's in here. The shed. There, Paolo and Francesca. Go. Oh, it ain't got him yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 Mr. Buena Casa. See? How, how, mu- how much for the big one? 
Ma che vergogna! I tell you, the name is Paolo e Francesca. This is a husband and a wife. I don't sell a one. You marry men. I think you understand, oh, eh? Oh, oh, forgive me, old man. You're right. I don't know what I was thinking about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. They look so pretty. Yeah. They're in love. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Look, love. yeah, sure. Look, uh, Mr. Bonacassa, I got a, I got a goat outside. Yeah? Twillest goat you ever saw. Rudolph. Rudolph? He, he loves everybody. Crazy about everybody. Yeah, what, what about a deal? I buy Paolo and Francesca. You take Rudolph and part swap, huh? Yeah, you can have one swell loving goat and some cash. Everybody, she's a happy, huh? I don't want the one goat. No? No. What's the matter with having one goat? What good is one goat except to another goat? Except... <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, look, uh, Mr. Buonacassi, it's a deal. Uh, how much? Well, I'm not sure I want much to sell now. Three hundred dollars? Amici. Amici, she's good. Paolo and Francesca, they're yours. Now, you come in the house and we have some wine. It's a, it's a party. We sing a songs. We lift the ceiling. I know we You know something, Perry? I wouldn't to blame that way to be the Satcher. Russian caviar in a dump like this. You can't. One Al, I'm sleeping. Now, please, do not disturb me. Allow me to sit here with my head in my hands and suffer. Oh, mm -hmm. oh stop nudging me, Al. Will you stop nudging me? Good evening, all. Mind if I join the party? Rusty. Hello, Perry. Don't suppose you'd mind if I sat down. Oh. You're sore. Not at all. It's been a perfect Christmas Eve. How'd you find us? You left a trail a blind man could follow. When I saw your car parked outside with three goats in the back seat, I sort of figured you might be in here. Oh, don't be sore, Rusty. Don't sore? Be sore? Why should I be sore? Well, what are you doing away from the party? There is no party. Huh? Can I have some coffee, too? What do you mean? I'm working. Everybody's working. There's never been a Christmas like it before. Progower was murdered. Progower of the DA's office. Oh, for goodness sake. Well, uh, fancy that. It also happens that Pier 547 Brooklyn blew up. Not really. Terry, why do you drink? Uh, because they sent me out on Christmas Eve to buy two goats and a red wagon. Oh. Have you got the wagon? Uh, the wagon! The wagon! Oh, 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 I haven't got the wagon. Well, I have. That's one reason I'm here. Text thought you'd forget. Where is it? Outside my car. Oh, Rusty, you're wonderful. Am I? We got one goat too many, Rusty. Oh, you noticed it too, did you? 
Isn't Mrs. Pettensall going to be surprised? What's the matter with them now? They're frightened. Now listen, Goat, you're out of the elevator. All you got to do is walk down this nice, quiet hall here, see? That's it. Now just walk slowly down the hall to apartment three. And stop kissing me. <laughs> oh, look, Rusty, Rudolph loves me. It's quarter to eleven. The Pettensolls will be home in yeah. fifteen minutes. All right, all right, all right. Vogel, you huh? take Paolo. Rusty, you grab Francesca. For you, Rudolph. <laughs> Whoever answers this story oh. been for an awful time. Rudolph, Rudolph, he loves me. He's kissing me. Merry Christmas, Rudolph, you're the sweetest little goat in the whole wide world. Good evening. Good heavens. Are you the Pattensall's butler? I am, sir. And might I ask what you are? Move over. We got goats. You got a bathroom with a sunken tub? <laughs> Oh, hold still, Rudolph. There, there, there. I guess you're clean. Oh, they both uh, look like fluffy little lambs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but Rudolph, Rudolph here doesn't deserve a bath ever smashing the Pettensall's mirror. Well, he couldn't help it. Hmm? The first time he'd ever seen himself in that mean expression on his face. Uh, uh, all right, hold still, Rudolph. You'll be dry in a minute. That's a boy. Right, give me another towel, Rusty. Hey, you've used five already. <laughs> Looks like a nightmare. That's a boy. Yeah, well, you can't deliver dirty goats to Mrs. Pettensall. <laughs> Say, he's real cute when he's clean, isn't he? Hey, what's Vogel doing? Uh, making a harness out of neckties. Let's <laughs> get him harnessed to the wagon uh, and get out of here before the Pettensalls arrive. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Rudolph. You look swell. <laughs> well, come on, Rusty. Open the door. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey. This is sure some dump. Oh, how's the harness coming, Al? I used Mr. Petzl's neckties. Hey, look at it. Swell, ain't it? Oh, Al, yeah. Al, it's the nicest harness I've ever seen. Yeah. Hey, did you ever see a tree like that in your whole life? Never. Mm-hmm. And I never will. I'll never, ever have a Christmas like other people. Never. Now, let's get them harnessed. <laughs> Red wagon and all. Yeah. Huh, don't they look cute? <laughs> Paolo and Francesca, man and wife. Makes me want to cry. Oh, what are they doing to the tree? Looks to me as if they're eating Give it. A... a little at a time. Uh, uh, Rudolph! Oh, good Lord. Darn you, anyway, Rudolph. Oh, Terry, look out. Huh? The other one. Suffering cats. Hold it. Here come the petting souls, I bet you. going on in here? My bars. Oh, both of them. What is the meaning of this? Who are you people? Alan, are these people from the paper? I believe they are, my dear. Get out of here. All of you. You hooligans. You're drunk. I beg, beg your pardon. We're not drunk. Of course you're drunk. Otherwise, what's the meaning of the third animal? It is a spare. A spare? That's supposed to be funny. Will you please leave? Alan, I expect you to deal with these people tomorrow. Oh, 
Rusty, I believe Mrs. Pettensall is sore. Is she? Well, so am I. Mrs. Pettensall, you're all through with Perry Brown now, aren't you? I don't believe I know yes, who... you are. You're through with him. He's drunk and he's dirty, and besides, he served your purpose. He got you what you wanted, two goats and a red wagon on Christmas Eve. No other man in town could have done it tonight, or would have. Get out of here, you... You've been using our office and our staff to do your dirty work for the last five years. <laughs> Run errands, fetch and carry, fix things for you, play nursemaid to you. Well, that's out as far as we're concerned. And when you replace us, I suggest you go to an employment agency that furnishes train servants. It'll be nice to know you can call up the office when you need an extra butler. Come on, boys. Come on, Rudolph. Let's get out of here. I can smell something that has nothing to do with goat. Well, I've no, no, never no, 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 my dear. Uh, good night, Miss McGowan, Miss Brown, Mr. Vogel. Good night. Come on, let's get out of here. Got rid of Al. Yeah. Now, if we could only get rid of Rudolph. I called up the zoo. Well? They didn't want to go. Oh. oh. I called up the Metropolitan Museum of Art, too. <laughs> what on earth for? I don't know. I thought maybe because it was Christmas Eve, they might make an exception. <laughs> what do we do with him? Honey, I don't know, but I'm, I'm not going to abandon Rudolph on some cold vacant lot. He's got a right to Christmas, too. Well, where will we take him? I don't know. I guess we'll just wander around Brooklyn with him until we die of old age. No, 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 don't kiss me when I'm driving, Rudolph. <laughs> he loves me, Rusty. I know. I do, too. Do you? Mm-hmm. For sakes, let's get some coffee. I'm perishing with a cold, Terry. Look, there's a place. Hmm? Come on, stop. All Harry. right, all right, all right. Do you, do you think you love me as much as Rudolph loves me? Mm, I think I do. Okay, then I'll buy you some coffee. All right, now, uh, get uh, Rudolph out on your side. Does he stay in the car? Well, Rudolph's got a right to his Christmas, too. Yeah, boy. Go on, Rudolph. Go with Rusty. That's yeah, a fella. Come on, Rudolph. Good old Rudolph. <laughs> Rusty, honey, I just couldn't leave Rudolph without a home on Christmas Eve. It wouldn't be human. I know. Do you suppose we'll have to keep him forever? I don't know. Here we are. All right, now. Sit down, Rudolph. Sit down beside us and shut up. Hey, 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 mister. Hey, you can bring that coat in Oh, yes, we can. It's Christmas Eve. Coffee and donuts for two and some wheat biscuits for Rudolph. Goat yeah, yeah, just one of the things. No, 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 no. leave him, leave him in the box. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he'll eat the box and all. He'll be hysterical when he hits the biscuits after all that cardboard. Yeah, thanks. Here, Rudolph. Now, don't let me hear a sound out of you. Boy, I've seen everything, huh? Donuts and coffee coming up. You unhappy, kid? Very on an awful fake. I've loved every minute of it. No fooling. Mm. I was mad because you wouldn't take me with you. <laughs> Oh, it's a lousy racket, but we love it. I guess we're out of it now, though. We haven't got a job, Rusty. Oh, I think we have. Remember when Mr. Pettenthal said goodnight? Yes. He winked at me. No kidding. Mm. He's been wanting to tell her off for years. Oh, I'll bet. Terry, can't you remember anything that happened tonight? Oh, some of it. 
Well, you know, there's a bonus waiting for you at the office. A bonus? Uh -huh. What for? For your work on the Pier 547 explosion. What? Vogel took a picture of it. Yeah? Yeah. He also took a picture of the death of some Brooklyn alderman's wife in a taxi accident and a half a dozen of Progower's bodies. Yeah, what are you talking about? Vogel phoned the office around six. Yeah. He said if we would go to an address he gave us and look behind some signboards, there'd be something for us. Uh -huh. There was. On top of Progower's body were half a dozen plates and a note from Vogel with the captions on them. They're all over page one now. Well, I'll be good old Vogel. I tried to make an honest flunky out of him, but I guess he's just a newspaper man at heart. Mm. Uh. So you see, everything's all right. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Now, if we could only just get rid of Rudolph. Yeah. Hey, mister, give me two coffees and two donuts to go. Hey, Rusty, Rusty, look. What? That kid. <clears throat> hey, Sonny. Sonny, come here, will you? Hello, lady. Hi, Sonny. Hello, mister. Hi. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Say, how would you like a goat for Christmas? Her? Him. Honest? Honest. Just take him? Right now. You want him? She do I. Gosh. Call him Rudolph. She thanks, mister. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Come on, Rudolph. <laughs> well, we've done it, Rusty. We've done it. Rudolph has a home. <laughs> Darling, Merry Christmas. Terry. Hey, 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 cut out that kitten stuff. I run a respectable joint. <laughs> have just heard Twas the Night Before Christmas by Paul Gallico, starring Lyle Sudrow as Terry Brown. Bernard Grant was Al Vogel, and other members of the cast included Ross Martin, Frank Milano, Louis Van Ruten, Connie Lemke, Butch Cavell, and Grace Keddy. The special music was composed and conducted by Dr. Roy Shield. Twas the Night Before Christmas was adapted for radio by Harry W. Junkin, who also directed the entire production. This is Harry Junkin again. Next week on Radio City Playhouse, Jan Minor gives vitality and charm to the role of Anne Stratton in a tender and beautiful love story called Reflection. That's next week, Reflection, Attraction 67 on Radio City Playhouse. Merry Christmas, everybody, and good afternoon. on NBC tonight? There's a Christmas stocking full of entertainment. As a holiday special, Theater Guild on the Air will present Paulette Goddard and Sir Cedric Hardwick in that perennial favorite, The Passing of the Third Floor Back. Hear this special Christmas program, Paulette Goddard and Sir Cedric Hardwick on Theater Guild on the Air.
you'll find a Merry Christmas all day long on NBC. Fred Collins speaking. Now stay tuned for James Melton and Harvest of Stars on NBC. Okay, folks, the next one I have is um, Family Theater, and I love Family Theater. Uh, their shows are inspirational, and um, also they have, each show has a different star hosting it, so it really gets interesting. Um, and so today, uh, what I have for you is a little, a little ditty called Substitute Santa. And... I liked it, so I hope y'all do too. Give it a whirl. The Mutual Broadcasting System, in cooperation with Family Theater Incorporated, presents Substitute Santa, starring Frank McHugh and James Burke. Ray Milland is your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Our happiness so often comes from little things... The simple deeds, the daily thoughtful acts of kindness, the words of encouragement we can and should give to one another. These things mean so much, especially at home, where appreciation and gratitude may often be forgotten because, well, because it is home, and we just take for granted the kindness and encouragement that is given. It's sad to see a home where words of thanks are forgotten, or where there's distrust and constant quarreling, because home was meant to be the happiest place in the world. And it can be with God's help. And in a home where there is the daily practice of family prayer, the daily expression of thanks to God, there is always a new appreciation of members of the family for one another, a new spirit of thankfulness and happiness. We will hear from Ray Milland later in the program. Now, Family Theater presents... Substitute Santa, starring Frank McHugh with James Burke. Featherstone's department store? Yes, madam. All complaints on purchases made must be made in person. Sorry. Featherstone's department store? Yes, we deliver in your suburb, right up to Christmas Eve. You're welcome. Featherstone's department store? Yes, sir, that's right. The one millionth person entering our toyland will receive as a Christmas present any article on sale in our store. Yes. Yes, sir. A mink coat, a diamond ring, anything. Well, most any day now. You're welcome. Featherstone's department... Oh, 
Mr. Featherstone? Yes. Mr. Potter, to your office immediately? Yes, sir. I'll stop paging him right now. You're welcome. Mr. Archibald Potter, report to Mr. Featherstone's office. Now what does old Featherstone want? Grigsby, if they ever want you to be the manager of this store, walk. Do not run to the nearest exit. Don't worry, Mr. Potter. I'm not after your job. I have trouble enough right here in the toy department. You have troubles. Oh, I'll match troubles with you any day, Grigsby. Oh, Mr. Grigsby. Mr. Grigsby. Yes, Miss Lee? Santa Claus is ill. He's what? He's indisposed. He's, well, he's not feeling well. Santa Claus has a tummy ache. Oh, no. No. He can't do this to me. There's Featherstone again. Mr. Potter, if Santa Claus... That's one of your troubles. I have troubles of my own. Chin up. Carry on. I'm coming, SW. I'm coming. If nothing else happens, I'll... Oh. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm awfully sorry. I, I beg your pardon. Did I hurt you? No, no, no I'm all right, really. Well, that's my fault. It really is. I should have watched where I was going. No, I wasn't watching either. Uh, wait, I, I'll pick up your packages. I hope I didn't break oh, anything. No, no, there's nothing fragile in any of them. Just a few trinkets. Some of the things that we don't have in England. Oh, you're from England. Here, oh, here, here. I think that's all your package. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, you're from England. Well, what do you know? Well, we import a great many things from your country. I'm Archie Potter. I'm the manager of Featherstone. Oh, how interesting. So, you see, I shouldn't go around bumping into people. Miss, uh, Miss, uh, uh you said that your name was, uh... Mr. Potter, please report to me. Oh, there it goes again. All right, all right. Oh, look, wait, look, look. Uh, you're uh, you're coming into the store again, oh, aren't you? Yes, yes. I'll be here every day until until I find what I'm looking for. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll be seeing you then. Well, I, I, uh, I've got to run now. Uh, oh, goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Potter. Goodbye. She's beautiful. She's lovely. She's gorgeous. She's exquisite. Who's that? Archie Potter. Come in. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, did uh, you want to see me, Mr. Featherstone? Yes, for the last half hour. Oh, I've been having a little trouble downstairs. You're having trouble, huh? Come up and match troubles with me sometime. Look here, Potter. You're the one who talked me into giving a Christmas present to the millionth visitor to Toyland. Yes, F.W. I'm proud to say that was my idea. Well, I've been thinking it over and I don't like it. But, F.W., you okayed it. I know I did, but it's going to cost us too much money. His choice of anything in the store. What's the most expensive article we sell? Well, let me see. Probably that mink coat in the fur department. It sells for an even $4,000. $4,000. Suppose the lucky person is a woman. Suppose she picks that mink coat. Then we'll give it to her. We'll give it to her, just like that. 
Look, F.W., we've already got more than $4,000 worth of advertising out of this. Newspapers all over the country have played it up. And all the newspapers in town will send reporters and cameramen to cover it. That's all well and good, but just the and same... And we've sold more than $4,000 worth of merchandise on account of it in the toy department alone. Our sales are up at least 30000 Well, that's encouraging. But I still hope she doesn't pick the mink coat. F.W., haven't you any Christmas spirit? Why should I? Nobody ever gave me anything. I've worked hard for every penny I've made. I've never found a Santa Claus to... Oh, speaking of Santa Claus, that reminds me. May, uh, may I use your telephone? Go ahead. Uh, Miss Carter, this is Potter speaking. Will you connect me with the toy department? Thank you. What's the matter now? Santa Claus isn't feeling well. He hasn't got anything on the way I feel. Oh, hello. Uh, this is Potter. May I speak to Mr. Grigsby? Oh, oh, hello, hello, Grigsby. Yes. Is that so? Oh, yes, yes, do that, do that. I'll be down in just a few minutes. What's wrong? Santa Claus, just taken to the hospital. It looks like appendicitis. Well, that's a fine thing. Now what are we going to do? Oh, it's already been done, F.W. Grigsby, that nice-looking young chap in the toy department, he's offered a substitute for Santa. He's putting on Santa's outfit now. Grigsby, eh? Will he want anything extra for it? Well, it wouldn't hurt to give him a little extra. Look here, Potter, you're mighty free with other people's money. Well, I better go down and help Grigsby. Oh, that's seven floors on that house. Everything's been happening down here today. Why doesn't something good ever happen here? Well, it does. This morning, now just this morning, I bumped into... Oh, F.W., she's gorgeous. She is the most beautiful... What are you talking about? She makes you think of white rose petals on black velvet. And she walks like a spring breeze in a field of daffodils. Who? Well, uh, the young lady I bumped into. And as dainty... As dainty as a Dresden china doll. I hope you didn't break her. Oh, no, 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 I didn't. I just came around a corner, and there she was. And then she came around a corner, and there I was. And we sort of collided. F.W., do you believe in love at first sight? Potter, stop making daisy chains out of my paper clips. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Excuse me, I'm sorry. And she's about five feet two. Eyes of blue. No, no, no. They're, they're more like an amethyst. And she walks like a spring breeze in a field of daffodils. Oh, then you've seen her. No, I haven't seen her. I'm quoting you. Potter, just how does a spring breeze walk in a field of daffodils? Go ahead. Show me. Well. Oh, she knocks over ashtrays, too, eh? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm sure. I, I didn't see it. You'd better get out of here. Your spring breeze is too much like a tornado. All right, F.W. I'll be back later. She does walk like a spring get breeze. Get out of here! I see you're doubling in whiskers. Yes, Miss Potter. Somebody had to take Santa Claus's place, and I like kids, so I volunteered. Good for you. But uh, can you laugh like Santa Claus? You know, Santa has a D-party laugh. Can you give us that? I don't know. I have a lot of worries on my mind, but I'll try. How's this? 
Ho, 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 ho. Oh, Grigsby, Grigsby, you can do better than that. Look, for a good hearty laugh, I'll get you an extra $50. Well, that's different. Oh, good, good, you got it. Now, you go out there and climb into Sandy's sleigh and go to town. Yes, sir. Oh, 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 Santa, Santa, boy. <laughs> well, that's settled. I wonder if I'll see her again today. She said she'd be coming back. Oh, look, Jackie, here's Mr. Potter. Good afternoon, Mr. Potter, sir. Well, well, Mrs. Jones and Jackie, too. Hi, Jackie. Say hello to Mr. Potter. Well, Mr. Potter, uh, Mr. Potter's the manager of this store. Oh, he works here, too, huh? Yes, Jackie. I work here just like a mother does. She cleans at night with a mop and a scrubbing brush, and I spend the day trying to keep it clean. Confidentially, hers is a better job. I think so, too. Jackie! <laughs> Uh, uh, Mr. Potter, I brought Jackie down to see Santa Claus. Oh, yes? Well, Jackie, there he is, way over there at the other end of Toyland. Oh, yeah. I see him now. He doesn't look as fat as he did last year. Well, Santa has worried a lot lately. Some of his little girls and boys haven't been so good. Oh, I've been a good boy. Yes, Jackie's been a very good boy, Mr. Potter. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if he were the millionth person to enter Toyland? It certainly would. Jackie... If you could have anything you wanted in the whole store, what would you pick? A cowboy suit. Well, for F.W.'s sake, let's hope you're the one. Uh, by the way, Mr. Potter, what's happened to the window display we always have at Christmas time? Which one, Mrs. Jones? The one that shows the Christ child in the manger, oh. and the bright star and the wise men. Oh, you mean the nativity scene? Mm-hmm. Well, don't we have that one this year? No, we don't, sir. Well, now that you mention it, I don't remember seeing it. Why, that window was traditional at Featherstone's. Oh, the window tremors will hear about this. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it. I'm glad you did, Mrs. Jones. I'll have that window set up tonight. Oh, that'll be fine. It's such a beautiful scene. Hey, Mom, come on. Oh, all right, Jackie. He's getting impatient, so I guess I'd better go. I'll see you tonight, Mrs. Jones. You too, Jackie. Let's see. She might be down on the fourth floor in the dress department. They don't have dresses like that in England. Yes. I think I'll get down there. Oh, there he goes again. All right, F.W. A head as light as a feather and a heart as hard as a stone. That's Featherstone. Well, everything's under control, F.W. Grigsby makes a fine substitute Santa. He's laughing his head off. <laughs> What's he so happy about? I promised him an extra $50. Oh, stop giving away my money. Grigsby deserves it, F.W. Well, maybe he is helping business. All right, give it to him. That reminds me. When will the millionth person enter Toyland? Well, at the rate they're coming in, it ought to happen about noon tomorrow. We'd uh, like to have you there, F.W. I'll be there. I want to kiss that $4,000 mink coat goodbye. Of course, not many people know that we have a $4,000 mink coat here, do they? Oh, yes. It's in the front window. What? Yes. It's been there all week. Oh, why did I ever own a department store? And speaking of windows, do you know that somebody forgot to set up our nativity window? You know, window number 12. I hate to pull out that merchandise display for something that doesn't bring us any business. After all, it's Christmas. Listen, F.W., that star-spangled Christmas tree you have in the main lobby, that's not Christmas. Even the seventh-floor toyland with Santa Claus, that's not Christmas. But that little scene in Bethlehem, 
That's Christmas. The real Christmas. Potter, there isn't a window trimmer at this late date to start. I'll fix it myself tonight. And all by myself if I have to. Someday you're going to turn the wrong corner. Uh, uh, Potter, have you seen your spring breeze blowing around anymore? No. No, I haven't, F.W., but I, I'm hoping. Oh, she has a voice like music in the moonlight. And her eyes, they're so deep, you could fall right in and drown. Potter, don't let this infatuation run away with you. Remember, your first love is Featherstone's department store. F.W., I have enough troubles without reminding me of that. Oh, Mr. Potter, that window's going to be beautiful. I didn't know you could trim windows, too. Well, Mrs. Jones, to tell you the truth, I didn't know I could either. But the subject like the nativity, the, you know, it's inspiration. Oh, it's just like a beautiful picture. The manger and the little Christ child and the bright star. I wonder if Jackie succeeded in finding some straw. Then we'll be finished. Uh, Mr. Potter, don't you think that Mary, the mother, should be closer to the manger, uh, sort of bending over like? Well, Mrs. Jones, you're right. I'll fix that. Here's some straw, Mr. Potter. I found some in a box. Oh, thank you, Jackie. That's just the right kind of straw. Mrs. Jones, I'm, I'm afraid we're making a mess for you to clean up. Oh, my land, Mr. Potter. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> See, Jackie, he's putting the straw in the manger around the little Christ child. Yes, Jackie. This shows you what happened many, many years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. Was he a real baby? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed, Jackie. This is one Christmas story that's real and true. That's what I was talking to Jackie about this afternoon, Mr. Potter. Yes, Christmas is the birthday of the infant Jesus. That's the real meaning of Christmas, Jackie. Mrs. Jones... You're a very devout person. And why shouldn't I be? <laughs> I'm on my knees the whole night through. <laughs> and I try to pray just as sincerely with a scrubbing brush in my hands as I do with my prayer book. Mr. Porter, when I brought the straw in, I noticed something. There's a man in one of the show windows. A man? Well, we don't have any window trimmers working tonight. Well, there's a man in one of them. Which one? That big window down there. Well, that's where the furs are. Why, there's a four thousand. You wait here, Jackie. I'm going to go and take a look. And I'll go with you, sir. And I'll take my mop along just in case. Yes, yes. All right. Come on. But everybody now, be careful. Now, I cannot imagine how a man got in. Unless he hid in the store. Maybe that's what he did. Uh, we'll soon find out. Shh, shh. This is the window. Yes. The door into the window was open. Now, now you chase him out, and I'll swat him with the mop. All right. Get ready. What's going on in here? Oh, hello, Potter. Why, hello, Mr. Featherstone. It's you. Well, who did you expect? Miss Hush? It's all right, Miss Jones. It's the old man. It's, uh, no, it's uh, Mr. Featherstone himself. No, sure. And I was all ready to knock somebody for a home run. F.W., what are you doing in the fur window? I was looking at this $4,000 mink. Is that it? That's it. Hmm, it doesn't look so wonderful. Why, here's one for $325 that looks so much like it you can hardly tell the difference. Well, the cheaper one is a copy of it. In imitation, mate. It's a good imitation. And it's a good coat. But right. that's not the real thing. Mm -hmm, I see. 
Well, you don't have to put a spotlight on this $4,000 one. It's too conspicuous. That's the first thing somebody's going to think of when he has choice of anything in the store. Well, we're trying to sell the coat before that happens, F.W. That's the only $4,000 coat we have. If we can sell it, then we won't have to give it away. I never thought of that. Put two spotlights on it. Okay, F.W. Say, Mom, is that old man Featherstone? Hush, Jackie. Uh, yes, uh, this is the man who owns the store. Well, who's this? This is Mrs. Jones of the cleaning department. And this is my boy, Jackie. My mother says you're a fine man. Well, she does, eh? She says you give a lot of work to a lot of people. Yes, I guess I do. But she says you're a lonely old codger, too. Jackie! Uh, never mind him, Mr. Featherstone. The boy is right, Mrs. Jones. I am a lonely old codger. Mom, why don't we invite Mr. Featherstone over to our house for Christmas dinner? Oh, no, Jackie. Mr. Featherstone already has a place to eat Christmas dinner. Yes, of course. I always eat Christmas dinner at my club. But uh, thank you just the same. Come on, Jackie. We mustn't bother Mr. Featherstone. And besides that, I've got the main lobby to scrub. Bye, Mr. Featherstone. Goodbye, Jackie. Mrs. Jones. Christmas dinner, eh? Do you suppose the boy meant it? I'm sure he meant it. They'd enjoy having me? Why, certainly they would. They're real people. You're not a millionaire to them. You're just a uh, lonely old codger. Well, Potter, you might as well get back to your Christmas, Wendy. I saw it from outside. It's mighty nice. Wow. Well, thanks. All right, F.W., I'll go back and finish it. Do that. Hmm. A $4,000 mink coat and a $325 coat that looks just like it. Now, if somebody accidentally switched the price tags on those two coats just for one day, who would know the difference? Then, if somebody picks the $4,000 one, it would only cost us $325. Hmm. Why not? Oh, Featherstone. That's what's wrong with you. You're always thinking about money. That's why you're a lonely old codger. Kindly step back, folks. Let the people get in the toilet. Don't crowd, please. Don't crowd. Remember, there are children here. Potter, are we getting near the finish? Oh, there you are, F.W. I was afraid you'd miss it. One at a time, please. Go through the turnstile in the single file. Yes, we're coming. The last time it'll happen any minute now. Good. I'll be glad to get it over with. Oh, yes, yes. It's been great, F.W. Oh, look. Look, there she is. Who? What are you talking about? That's her. That's her. That's the girl who... Uh... Oh, you mean the spring breeze. Say, she's all right. F.W., she's getting alive. She's coming in a toy lamp. Oh, if she could only be the one millionth person. Part of that sort of thing only happens in books. Of course, she's one in a million. Of course, if she could only be the one in this million. Miss Hunter, what's the count? Seventy-five. Seventy-five, seventy-six, seventy-seven, seventy. It could be, could be. Then nine, eighty. She's getting closer. Eighty-one, eighty-two. Eighty-three. She'll never make it. Eighty-four, eighty-five. Eighty-six. It's going to be close. Seven, eighty-eight. She's not eighty-nine. Ninety, ninety-one. You know how to pick them. Ninety-two, ninety-three. 
Three's not bad. Ninety-four. Ninety-five. Oh, I'm afraid. Look at the match six and seven. I'll never be the same again. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. One million. She made it. Ma'am, you are it. Well, haven't you read our advertisements? You're the one millionth person entering our toy land. Oh, and now I can find out your name. I'm Margaret Allen. Mrs. or Miss, oh, I yes. hope. That's wonderful. And you're from... Uh, Liverpool. That's marvelous. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the happy pleasure to announce that the one millionth person entering Toyland is Miss Margaret Allen of Liverpool, England. <laughs> Will you pose for a picture, please? Uh, yes, I'm so bewildered by all this sudden attention. I, I really... I... Hold on, Potter. I want you in this picture, too. After all, I'm only the owner of the stall. Oh. oh. Oh, yes, yes. Excuse me, Miss Allen. This is F.W. Featherstone himself. I'm very pleased to meet you, Mr. Featherstone. How do you do, young lady? Now, you fellows with the cameras, be sure you get all three of us in. Hold it. Hold it now. Hold it. Hold it. There. Thanks, fellas. Thanks. Now, young lady... What do you want for Christmas? I don't understand. Well, it's like this, Miss Allen. For being the one millionth person to enter Toyland, you get your choice of any article on sale in the store. Oh, goodness. You mean any article I want? Yes. Anything from a stick of gum to a $4,000 mink coat. Yes, or, or yes, uh, anything you want. I know what I want. I don't know whether I'll ever be able to use it, but this is what I want. A wedding gown. A wedding gown? You shall have the best wedding gown in the store. Better than that. I'll include a complete wedding trousseau. Oh, Mr. Featherston, I don't know how to thank you. Well, wait, wait. What What uh, I would like to know is, who was the lucky man? Well, I, I don't know. You don't know? You see, in England during the war, I met an American soldier. I fell in love with him. We planned to be married on Christmas Day, but he was called away from England. Oh, well, that was a tough break. And while he was gone, my home in Liverpool was struck by a bomb. Oh, I spent months and months in the hospital, and... When I got out, I was well physically, but I couldn't remember anything. Amnesia. Well, that's what they called it. I couldn't even remember the name of my sweetheart. I'm sure if I see him, I'll know him until all come back. But how did you happen to come in here to Featherstone? Well, I found a letter in my belongings. It was just signed Joe, but I'm sure it was from him. And he said in his letter that when the war was over, he'd go back to his old job at Featherstone. We have a lot of returned soldiers here. Half of them are named Joe. I started coming here yesterday. I intended to go to every department of the store and see if I could find him. Well, if he's in the store... We'll find him for you. Miss Allen, I'm from the Daily Gazette. Would you mind posing with Santa Claus while we take a picture? That's a good idea. You know, Potter, giving this Christmas present and making this young lady so happy has made me feel good, too. That's the fun you've been missing, F.W. Come on, Miss Allen. Santa Claus over here. Oh, 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 oh. And what do you want, little man? Here you are. Here's Santa Claus, Miss Allen. Climb right into the sleigh with him. Come on, F.W. You get in, too. You've been kind of a Santa Claus to her. Margaret. It's Margaret. Margaret Allen. Do you, do you know this girl? Know her? I hunted all over England for her. Grigsby. Joe Grigsby, it's you. Oh, Joe. Margaret. Like Potter, I thought you... Oh, my dream girl. And what happens? She marries Santa Claus. And a substitute Santa at that. <laughs> Substitute Santa starred Frank McHugh as Mr. Potter with James Burke as Mr. Featherstone. Now, here is your family theater host for tonight, Ray Moran. This is the age of invention, the day of scientific discovery. There are discoveries in atomic power and supersonics. 
There are inventions for super planes, super bridges, super buildings, and millions of other inventions that find their way to farms, factories, and homes. No one questions the progress made in things scientific and intellectual. But what about the simple art of living together? And the simplest art, because it's so fundamental, the art of living together as a family. In a land of freedom, each man's home is his castle. A home isn't only built of stone or bricks or walls or roof. It's built with the spirit of a boy and girl who pledge their unchanging love in the sacred bond of marriage. And where there's God's blessing in the daily practice of family prayer and a home, it is in truth an unchanging love, because the family that prays together stays together. Before saying goodnight, I'd like to thank Frank McHugh and James Burke for their performances this evening. Our thanks to Harry Lawrence for writing tonight's play and to Max Terre for his music. This production of Family Theatre Incorporated was directed by David Young. Others who appeared in tonight's play were Una Mordeshed, Margie List, Joe Graham, Bob Rockwell, Gwen Delano, Phil Bernard, and Bob Young. Next week, our family theater stars will be Johnny Johnston and Catherine Grayson in A Rose by Any Other Name. And your host will be Don Amici. This is Ray Milan saying good night and God bless you. series of the Family Theater broadcast is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program, by the mutual broadcasting system which has responded to this need, and by a friend of the New York Foundling Hospital which cares for homeless and motherless babies without distinction of race, creed, or color. Be with us next week at the same time when our Family Theater stars will be Johnny Johnston and Catherine Grayson, with Don Amici as host. Tony LaFrano speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. The next one I have, or the last one, which is my strawberry. And it's one that is dear to my heart. Um, I love the movie and I listen to it every year. I'd like to get the one that's described by George Bush. I used to have it, but something happened to it. But uh, anyway, I get some of my movies from Ciro, and uh, they don't—they uh, don't seem to have it described by him. It stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, and it's called "It's a Wonderful Life," and I just love it. I love to listen to it every year, especially when I get down, because um, it kind of pips me back up. <laughs> toward the end of it and everything so uh, y'all kick back y'all enjoy my strawberry y'all enjoy the whole Sunday Lux presents Hollywood
Warner Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux Soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life. But I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life. Starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, uh, I'm really going down to earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book, excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, uh, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. 
It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Are you good for nothing? Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore ear. Teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Gower. Oh, George. That's what you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before cop. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you, too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Oh, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money well, he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? Well, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Going to have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got to hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. No, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan, work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, oh Pop, I, 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 I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I... I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Well, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Oh, 
Buffalo girl, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo girl, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, hot dog, oh boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, it's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I've got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, well, it's such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey. Hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay. The moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it. And... And it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair. And the, the, uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want it. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. What? George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, a... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college The directors of the building loan had a meeting They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan We don't need it Now, wait a minute Oh, you wait a minute Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Oh, oh, I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, Mayor. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's garling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Well, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Well, you get out of here, George. You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? 
George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business! We're still in business! But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him. His wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh... Did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George! Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you see her? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well? Well, I'll come in for a minute, but I I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you get back? Tuesday. When did you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. <laughs> well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand her. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people, all right, for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing, and I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about the music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... You know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. 
The way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, Song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Oh, Mossback George? Oh, Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I get... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take that. No, no, no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. <laughs> we, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans? Yeah. Yeah. Soybeans. Yeah, well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George. See? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? Practically, huh? And here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George! Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. Well, well, so George, Bailey, and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That doesn't. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, George, that. there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there with the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the station. No, wait station. a minute. Well, uh, I'll better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins, looking very smart, too, may I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex-whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it's spring is a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make close-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. 
Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. Well, what I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with a fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Give skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux Soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive. I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux toilet soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux Toilet Soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter. George. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open till 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Please, folks, now just a minute. Just a minute, now please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on, now please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now listen to me. Now you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Oh, wait a minute. Now let me tell you. Let me tell you, your money's in people's houses. In the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now, 
You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Oh, well, now, look, that's what, you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your share. I got my money! Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. What do you need? You've still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute. Whoa, listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen, just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by? Oh, $20, I suppose. Now oh, you're talking. Now, Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left. Hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife. Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey. That, that's my wife. That's my, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary. Listen, Mary. I'm sorry. I... I hmm? Come home? What home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, do. Uh, and a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Now, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 $20, a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but but what about the building and loan? Confounded man, I'm offering you a three-year contract of $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no, the answer's no doggone it. If you offer me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. What did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, 
Why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress on for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon. And I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you, you, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Well, Mary had a baby, Clarence, a boy. You don't say... And she had another, a girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But, George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well... Uh, well, well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly, Uses. Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Hey, Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? We're going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Well, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace. Deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, what, what's that? You want to make a deposit? What well, certainly I want. Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I 
can't take any more. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now, get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. This is old drafty house. No wonder we don't all have pneumonia. Might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out! Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry. Mary... I, I, I just got to get out of here. So that's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your account, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I... You say it was lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir. I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Mm-hmm. What's your equity in it? $500. And you want 8000 You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. And all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where is George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. God, dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if, if you're up there and, and you can hear me, please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I, show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey! 
You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough she slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You've got to follow up. You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right. Um, oh. Mr. Bailey, you, you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. But please, don't go away, Mr. Alone. Bailey. Please, don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from those wings! You hear me? Go! Go! In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work, but it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. Help! Help! I'm drowning! Help! Help! No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. 
And there goes Georgian after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in a... You... You what, mister? Hmm... I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Very your fine. your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel, second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, chat, chat, chat. As I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been time... for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're, well, uh, you're nobody. Oh, that's the doggonest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink. That's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, that's, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, 
Let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. That's no. right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly. Huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, come on, you just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Ah, uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why to... should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up, man. How old are you, anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Hey, where's Martini? Will you stop asking about Martini? He ain't here and he. Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You find me a drink, mister, just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rum head spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Get up, George. Good thing he threw us in a snowbank, huh? Where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Well, what do you mean, I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Terry. Oh, I will, sir. I will. 
Come on, step on it, will you, Arnie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Arnie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. The Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Arnie, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going crazy or something. I've got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Arnie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, Donald. You've seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you, we, we built it for you, didn't we? But my wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Arnie, okay, okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife, no children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that him. See, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run! My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Arnie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence? Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! Clarence. Oh, 
Where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him, Mama. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... But don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now, hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Huh? And where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is! Hey, it's in my pocket! What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert! Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls! Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone! Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are the, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm oh, sorry. I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, uh, Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temper. Not a snitch of temper. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! George, where have you been? Mary, George, oh, Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't. Uh, the FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Wait, what is it? We can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people, I hear lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as I hey, could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast. 
to my big brother George, the richest man in town. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Oh, Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is well sick. Every time the bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty good All down there in Texas, Texas yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. To <laughs> do it. Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. L.L.C. What's that, Bill? L.L.C.? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney, and a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests, Cornell Wilde. Best, based on the best-selling novel of the same name... Leave her to heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night. Good night, and thanks for meeting. Leave a brother's company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap. Join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Leave Her to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch, kitchen patch to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of patch is still desperately short, 
And every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Lever to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. When you bake and fry, fry. for your cake and pie, fry. it's your shortening by. Rely on fry. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for this week. We've talked off the Sunday. And um, I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you'll come back next week. And uh, because I'll have more Christmas for you. Um, and I hope all of you have a good Christmas. And I was going to tell you how you can contact us if you want to. Um... You can contact Victor on Facebook at Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway. You can contact him on Twitter at Blind Whose, B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E, one word. If you want to email him, you can email him at Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway at gmail.com. If you want to contact me on Facebook, I'm just simply Monica Jones. Um, I don't know if that's so simple sometimes, but anyway. Uh, on Twitter, you can contact me at Moni60. That's M-O-N-N-I-6-0. Uh, if you want to contact me by email, it's coffeegal 62 C-O-F-F-E-E-G-A-L-6-2 at gmail. And I think that just about covers it. Y'all give us your comments. Uh, give us some suggestions. I'm happy to do what you want me to do. Uh, so Within reason. Just let me know. <laughs> let me know if you like what I'm doing. Let me know if you can't stand what I'm doing. Uh, uh, let me know if you wish I'd go to the devil. Uh, yeah, just, <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll see y'all next week. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Victor's with me. <laughs> That's what I missed. That's what I missed in the first one, in the opening. <laughs> well, that and Julie Garden. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, uh, but I thought, 
I, I wanted to say also that in um, whose life it I mean uh, <laughs> in the Lux radio version of Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, Judy Garland starred in that, and I forgot to say it. And that that little girl Margaret, I want to say Margaret O'Brien, but somehow that don't sound quite right. But anyway, um, I I figure it out. Um. That's all, folks. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.